Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. John chapter 15, verse 13. John 15, 13. These are the words of God. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Such a great verse, isn't it? Greater love has no one than this to lay down than to lay down one's life for one's friends. The book of Proverbs has a whole lot to say uh, concerning human relationships. So it shouldn't come as any surprise, uh, at least not in my mind, shouldn't come as any surprise that it speaks repeatedly about the relationship of a friend. Uh, the Hebrew term is ria. Uh, and it is the most commonly used term for friend in the Old Testament, and it depicts uh, a general sense of reciprocity, right? Reciprocating affections and, uh, and actions. It uses, uh, uh, its uses range from that of a colleague all the way to that of an intimate lover. Uh, mostly, though, uh, it describes someone close, a confidant, what most of us would probably think right off the bat when we, when we think of a friend. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul speaks of uh, a love that bears all things. How many of you know the 1 Corinthians 13 passage? We're going to read it more today. But uh, it it talks about a a love that bears all things, which actually is the definition of what a confidant is. Somebody who bears with your burdens and bears your issues in life. Although the Greek word that Paul employs here is the term agape, uh, and this to the contrast of other Greek words like phileo, which is brotherly love, or eros, which is an erotic love, rhea can have each of these meanings in its view. Okay, Rhea kind of encompasses all of them uh, depending on its usage. Uh, in addition to any talk, though, about friendship, uh, we are required to remember what God's governing ethic is. And I've already kind of pointed that way with 1 Corinthians 13. The governing ethic to any relationship as well as, and especially friendship, must be the ethic of love. I've said it many times that this is not a cheap idea of love either. What the Bible says about love is very important. This isn't the world's version of love. This isn't your grandma's definition of love. How's that one for you? Uh, it is something far bigger. This is, this is something that God determines. God has defined, and we need to operate in accordance with it. This level of love, though, goes beyond something that God simply does. This is actually a love that defines who God is. This is his character. The scripture tells us God is love, not that he merely um, expresses love. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8, the apostle Paul says this. He says, love is patient. Here's the definition of love. Here's, here's what it means to love people. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres until you disagree about COVID. No, always perseveres. Love never fails, right? This is what love really is. Uh, And it's in this ethic, though, or it is this ethic of love that actually governs genuine friendship. Friends love each other. And this is what love looks like, being patient with each other, being kind, being 
compassionate, all of these components, right? C.S. Lewis pointed out an important contrast, though, to love, and I think we all know this deeply, but we need to hear it again. Here's what Lewis said. He said, love is not affectionate feeling. What? That's lame. Anyway, no, love is not affectionate feeling. Lewis is not in any way saying that love does not have affectionate feeling. It does have affectionate feeling. It's just that that is not its essence, okay? So Lewis goes on and says, but love instead, but uh, is a steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good as far as it can be obtained. Now, just for me to push Lewis's uh, definition a little bit further, or idea a bit further. Love has to go beyond church. It has to go beyond a steady wish into purposeful action. There there are a lot of times where we say, well, I meant well. I I meant to love you well, (laughs) right? The road to hell is paved with good intentions. We've all said it a thousand times. We know this to be the case. So, So it has to go beyond a steady wish and then into purposeful action. In all that we learn today, I hope this is our takeaway. I hope that we will understand that the good of others, hear me out here, the good of others forged in the biblical ethic of love is what friendship is all about. The good of others forged in the biblical ethic of love is actually what friendship is all about. And if it's not that, you have a counterfeit. You have something that might feel good, you have something that might, might uh, occupy your mind and your time. It might occupy uh, interests that you have. But it is not what God says friendship uh, is because it doesn't contain his love. Throughout history, friendship uh, has been sought out and valued as the basis for social community for, forever. Uh, for example, Aristotle and other philosophers, classic philosophers, viewed friendship as a key social relationship. This is what held society together. Uh, in the democratic ideal of the Athenian, it was called the polis or the city-state, right? Uh, in, in this idea, friendship exemplified uh, mutual social obligation and life depended on it. Uh, notice the kind of trinity here of social life. It was mutual, reciprocity. It has to be give and take, okay? It's mutual. It's, it is social. It is for a purpose. There is a social element to all relationships. Um, that is, we're not lone rangers in anything in this life. And then, last but not least, uh, friendship has an obligation to it. How many of you know that? Friendship has an obligation to it. Uh, I think we want relationships where we're just free to come and go as we please. The problem is all we're thinking about in that respect is ourselves. We want to come and go as we please, and the other person wants us to come and stay, <laughs> right? So, so it's really important that we, we're not flighty in all of these different things. Aristotle wrote this. He said, but it is also true that virtuous man's conduct is often guided by the interests of his friends and of his country, and that he will, if necessary, lay down his life on their behalf. And this is doubtless the case with those who give their lives for others, thus they choose greater nobility for themselves. Sounds pretty awesome, doesn't it? In John 15, 13, King Jesus declares, this is where we started this morning, he declares that the truest form of friend is exactly this. Greater love has no one than this, than one who would lay down one's life for one's friends. Now, I'm going to throw a little bit of a wrench in here for all of you geeks and 
well, the geeks might like it. Everybody else might have the problem. But uh, I, I shared with you at the beginning of this series in Proverbs that Proverbs are more concerned with, um, with collaboration or with collection of, of sayings than they are with authorship. And the reason why I made that stress at the beginning of this series was because we find a lot of things in proverbial wisdom, a lot of things within the scriptures that, interestingly enough, we have found in ancient writings way before the Bible was written. Now, that shouldn't panic you, though. It shouldn't panic you for a very important reason. God is wise, he is the author of all wisdom, and he has been uh, dispensing wisdom since the garden. Can I get an amen? He has been giving wisdom since the beginning. And there are people who we would look at and say don't belong to God that still have received truth from him. One of those examples that I gave were the Amalekites. They were destroyed. God destroyed the Amalekites because it says in the scripture they sinned against him. This is before the law. So what did they sin against? There was a clear ethic that was given to them, wisdom that was given to them, and they violated it somehow. Now, why do I bring that back up? I bring that back up because the question that I want to ask you today is, did Jesus copy Aristotle? Aristotle existed 320 years before Jesus set foot on the planet. Isn't that funny? Aristotle said, What society operates by is friends who love each other enough to lay down their life for one another, and they choose what is better by doing so. And then Jesus comes down and says, no greater love has anyone than this. And everybody goes, we heard that before. That was Aristotle. But was it? You see, in this respect, Aristotle is simply doing the same thing Newton did. Track with me. All he's doing is observing gravity. All he's doing is observing wisdom. We all do this. The author of the wisdom, the the one who wrote the programming for gravity, is still God. Okay? So this is really important for us to understand. Jesus doesn't copy Aristotle. But you need to know these ideas so that when skeptics come and when people doubt the faith and say, Jesus just copied this stuff from somebody else, you have a defense. You understand what it is you're talking about. It's really important. So Jesus says, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for a friend. And yet, it has to be understood rightly. Although we do appreciate, there's not one person in this room that wouldn't raise their hand to this, except for just because I said to raise your hand and you won't do it. But uh, all of us appreciate those who pay the ultimate sacrifice for other people. This past Wednesday, uh, we celebrated Veterans Day. Uh, we, I saw Facebook lined and filled with all of these praises of people who have either laid down their lives or served and intended to lay down their life or were willing to lay down their life so that we might have freedom. We are grateful for that, amen? We're grateful for that. that. There is no question that that is something that we love, but there is something that separates Jesus' statement from that of this kind of Aristotelian concept, okay? What is the difference? What, what is the divergence in Jesus' statement? Well, it's actually about the result of the sacrifice being made. What do I mean? Jesus is concerned with eternity, church, and all we ever seem to be concerned with is things that are temporal. What Jesus was ultimately communicating in John 15 is this. No greater love has anyone than this, that Jesus laid down his life so that you could be his friend. 
That's what the Bible is communicating. The Bible is not saying as long as you're just one of those loving people that is willing to die for others, it's all good. Free ticket to heaven. That really isn't what we're getting at. What we're, what we're seeing is that Jesus sets the stage for what it means to be a true friend. Now, all of this said, social relationships are still uh, a major area of focus for wisdom teachers. And since it is this relational sphere that wise conduct displays such importance, the Proverbs declare various, various principles on how friendships are produced. How many of you want to know how to get friendship? gain friendship, make friends, all those things. Friendship is produced. It talks about how friendship is sustained. How many of you don't want to screw up the friendships you have? You should raise your hand. Anyway, uh, and how many of you know that friendships can be threatened and you want to prevent against those types of things? So today, that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at four ideas concerning friendships uh, and what wisdom would say about each one of them. The first is the quality of being a good friend. It always is going to start with being the friend the friends you're looking for are looking for, right? <laughs> right. You need to be a worthy friend. Uh, the second is choosing good friends. Not even going to make a comment in case anybody gets offended by that one. And finally, we're going to, or in third, we're going to look at what friendships look like in action. How many of you know you can't just say, you're my friend, <laughs> right? You have to be a friend. Okay, so there's action associated with this. And then finally, we're going to look at a few, uh, a few threats to friendship because whether you know it or not, uh, the threats to friendship are real, even, even the closest of friendships. And we're going to finish that point up next week, not only based on the length of my message here, but also with the time we have left. So number one, the quality of being a good friend. What do the Proverbs say about being a good friend? Well, we can sum it all up with three words. Those three words are loyalty, love, and long-suffering. Loyalty, love, loyalty being faithfulness, love being what we've defined in 1 Corinthians, and long-suffering being what patience truly is, uh, actually being willing to endure challenging times with people around us. Proverbs 3, 3 and 4, it'll be on the screen. It says, do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and a good reputation in the sight of God and man. That's pretty awesome. All friendship, church, begins with the reputation of the parties involved. Uh, is the person worth befriending? That's the question we're going to ask next. But the better question for right now is, are you worth befriending? And generally, the answer is no on Tuesdays, right? So it's, it's, we've got to get better at this all the time. There's one person in this room that thinks I'm funny, and I appreciate you. Thank you. Anyway, and here's, here's where <laughs> a Christian... It's the only person, it's probably my mom. Anyway, okay, so here's where Christian worldview is going to change. Christian worldview here is going to change just about everything. <laughs> you guys are amazing. We can, we can and do enter into friendships for a myriad of reasons. Likes, dislikes, hobbies, uh, stage of life, all of those things. But if you've been living any length of time, you've learned that these things can't and won't sustain uh, friendship. It just won't sustain a true friendship. Instead, what does sustain true friendship is character. Character will always be the thing that sustains true friendship. So back to our C.S. Lewis quote from before. Uh, love is the steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good as far as it can be obtained. 
The character of a person who is concerned with their friend's ultimate good, that's the good friend. That is the person of godly character. So the question that I think is natural is how do we then develop godly character? Well, the answer is it takes careful, persistent work moment by moment and day by day. Can I get more amens on that one, right? It is, it is work. The apostle Peter called this uh, diligence, that we should apply all diligence in our relationships. And we are responsible for applying it. So please track with what Peter says. He says, in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, you need to be diligent, and you need to supply, that's the antecedent, you need to supply love. Being of good character requires diligence. Again, persistence and work. Being friendship material is a result of all of these character traits put together, okay? We want godly character, we want self-control, we want perseverance, we want all of those things. So how do we supply all of these things in our life? Well, Proverbs 3, 3 told us. It says, do not let kindness and truth leave you, so you have to be faithful to keep what has been provided in some sense. And then it says, bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. You have to bind these things to your neck. You have to write them on the tablet of your heart. But please listen to me. You cannot miss the personal responsibility here. You cannot miss it. Solomon did not say that God would bind kindness and truth around your neck. Solomon also didn't say that God would write kindness and truth on your hearts. Whoa, 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 Nathan. The Bible does say that he'll write his law on our hearts. Yes, it does say that. And that's an entirely different matter. His law is a code of ethics. His kindness and truth, these are a way of life. This is a thing that we do. This is a part of our heart. And we are to be diligent to provide those things in our life. Likewise, Peter didn't assert that God would supply our faith with moral excellence or self-control. It's called self-control, not God-control, right? And isn't it amazing that the fruit of the Spirit of God dwelling in us is self-control? God is not a puppet master. That's not how this works. He doesn't possess you and then move you. He indwells you and calls you. He indwells you and teaches you. He indwells you and guides you. And every day that you're being guided, every day that you're being taught, he's giving you more and more opportunity to say, yes, Father, I'll do it your way. You know how hard that is? <laughs> Just come hang out with me and Barney. You'll find out, right? <laughs> it is a challenging thing, but that is what God has called us to. We can hope and pray all we want, church, for some sort of spiritual download that magically gives us all the strength and character that we need to be good people. It ain't coming, right? It's, that's not how God's doing things. The truth is that we are to work at this, and we are to work at it very, very diligently, moment by moment, again, moment by moment, and day by day. Uh, this is what it means to be a good friend of godly character, a person of love. 
We're going to come back to this passage in just a second, but look at what Galatians 6, 1 through 3 says. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. This is all about others, church. We may not always get this friendship thing right. We won't, right? We may not always be the friend we were meant to be or to love the way God has called us to love. But guess what? We're still to try. We're still to give it everything we've got. What happens when others don't get it right either? What happens when people betray us or hurt us or are not faithful? Whatever it is, we forgive them. We love them. We actually exhibit what godly character is. Self-control, patience, kindness, forgiveness, mercy. All of that has to be employed in any relationship. So Galatians 6, 1 through 3, bearing one another's burdens, um, we, are to, uh, we are to carry the weight of others, even their mistakes, and we're to walk through life with them. Amen? So a good friend is going to be careful not to lose kindness and truth. And instead, a good friend is going to bind them around his or her neck. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, Jesus said this, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's amazing. Jesus is the model of a friend, church. You want to know what a friend looks like? If you're wondering if you're doing it wrong, look at Jesus. If you're not doing it his way, you're doing it wrong, right? But you can can pick it back up. You can move forward. Jesus is the perfect model. Not only has he willingly bound kindness and truth as a yoke around his own neck, he also calls us to share that yoke. He is both gentle and humble. He is. He's gentle. He's humble. He's invited us to a unique place of rest. And there's a line from a song that I just love. It says that I'll be a safe place for you to land. I'll be a safe place to land. Jesus' kindness and truth is our safe place to land. And that, to me, is just amazing. Calm down. This is what Proverbs 3.3 was foreshadowing. We are to bind Christ's yoke around our necks. We are to share a yoke with the faithful one who is the embodiment of truth. Isn't that awesome? When we take this yoke upon ourselves... Uh, we will, to adapt the phrase that I used before, we will be the kind of friend the friend we're looking for is looking for. That's what it means to be a godly friend. At the same, uh, the same time, it's expected uh, when writing truthfulness and faithfulness, uh, when, when attaching these other things to our neck, we have to write truth and faithfulness to our hearts or write them on our hearts. Jesus taught us in Luke 6, 45, that it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. How many of you know that's true? How many of you know when you say, I didn't mean to say that, you're lying? (laughs) That's hard to hear, isn't it? 
I didn't mean to say that. Well, how'd that get wedged in your heart then? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't mean to say that. Of course you meant to say it. It doesn't mean you can't repent of it. Amen? <laughs> Everybody's like, nope. <laughs> I'm not repenting of that, right? Solomon said something similar. He said that every issue, implying even friendship, every issue flows from the heart of mankind. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. So what we have to do in all of this is ask, what have we written on our hearts? What is it that we've written on our hearts? And whatever it is, that is going to determine the quality of our friendship. Man, I have rough friendships. Well, maybe your heart's messed up, right? Maybe you should go back with an eraser, figure all that stuff out. That's called repentance. And then rewrite the right things there. Rewrite the things that God says, not what your mama told you. She might love you, but you've got to do it Jesus' way. So we, we see all of these things playing out and how friendship looks. A few other passages to consider here. Uh, Proverbs 27.10. This is coming from the NIV just because I think it captured the thought, right? Uh, the NASB gets a little confusing on this one. But it says, do not forsake your friend or a friend of your family, and do not go to your relative's house when disaster strikes you. Better a neighbor nearby than a relative far away. That seems crazy, doesn't it? Let me explain how this works. Uh, a friend doesn't walk away when things get difficult, amen? amen. Friends, are, friends are there through the thick and the thin. They walk life out together with us. In the ancient context, a friend... Uh, didn't come about the way friends come about today. There was no social media. Uh, you couldn't traverse the landscape at just, you know, in just short order. Your friends were your neighbors. So Bill's next door. You better learn to love Bill next door, right? Bill, I love you already, and you're not even next door. But anyway, so, right? So, so this, is, this is your neighbor. And most of the time, these were multi-generational friendships. Why? Because people didn't move houses like they do today. They didn't, I mean, we do everything like we're changing underwear. It's pretty sad, right? So, or our face masks. Sorry, I'll use something more appropriate, right? <laughs> this kind of way was actually uh, life just a few, uh, few decades ago, even in America. People moved somewhere. They lived there. Now we're just jet setters. We, we just live everywhere. We're, we're gone all the time. In G.K. Chesterton's work, Heretics, I highly recommend anything G.K. Chesterton writes, but in Heretics, he says this. He says, we make our friends, we make our enemies, but God makes our next-door neighbor. <laughs> the old scriptural language showed so sharp a wisdom when it spoke, not of one's duty toward humanity, but one's duty toward one's neighbor. The duty towards humanity may often take the form of some choice, which is personal or, or even pleasurable, but we have to love our neighbor because he is there. A much more alarming reason for a much more serious operation. He is the sample of humanity which is actually given us. God puts somebody in your life, he put them over a fence, and you are there to love them. The reason why we shouldn't forsake our friends or the friends of our family is because they are the sample of humanity that God has given to us. And the reason why we're to run to them when disaster strikes is because it affords them, and if the tables are turned, it affords us the opportunity to grow in true friendship. It offers us the opportunity to actually uh, express patience in our life. Your family should already love you. 
look, I'm just going to keep looking at you. I'm just I'm concerned here for a bit, right? Your family should already love you. Uh, your aim is that your neighbor loves you too, right? Your aim is that you are a friend worth having, a neighbor worth having. Uh, I do want you to see that there is a deep connection in friendship and neighborliness. And when you read the scriptures, you're going to find over and over that when it talks about a neighbor, it is using the same ethic and calling you to the same standard as what it calls to a friend. Because friend and neighbor, brother, we're going to see even the poor have to do with friendship. That's all connected inside of this. One of the stories that comes to my mind of multi-generational uh, friendship is the story of David and Jonathan. You guys all know this story. Uh, closest friendship that you find in the scripture, probably the closest friendship that you can find in humanity, unless, of course, you, you know that friendship, you've experienced that friendship. But here's the deal. Uh, David was a friend to Jonathan, and then subsequently, he was a friend to Mephibosheth. Can you say that with me? Mephibosheth. <laughs> One more time, I just got to hear you. You guys sound beautiful. <laughs> anyway, right. So Mephibosheth, and I, I really could spend hours and hours and hours talking about this relationship dynamic, and time obviously will fail me, but simply put, David, because of his great love for his friend Jonathan, uh, continues caring for his friend's family long after Jonathan was gone, long after this happened. This is what we should be as friends. Okay, next is Proverbs 17, 17. It'll be on the screen as well. A friend loves at all times. I want you to say this with me, church. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Say that. And a brother is born for adversity. Now, we can look at that and see a contrast, but that's not actually what's intended to be communicated here. I'll show you in just a second. We just learned that our neighbors were the pool from which friendships are drawn, right, in the ancient world. Uh, now we see that friendship is meant to galvanize a brotherhood or a sisterhood. That's what this proverb is talking about. Many of the proverbs are constructed in what is called parallelism. Um, what that means is that uh, two or more things are either held in parallel or they're corresponding to one another in some way. In this verse, though, uh, a friend and a brother are what are intended to correspond. So when a friend loves without fail, guess what they become? They become a brother. And they are a brother that has been born to fight life's battles. That's why we need these kinds of friends. We need this change, this transition, uh, this morphing into a, a solid brotherhood. I, I love that idea. These are the friendships that each and every one of us wants in life, and few of us have them, but they are they are prized possessions. This is the friendship Jesus offers to us, and again, this is what we are striving to be ourselves. So we, I think we have a good idea now on what we need to do to be a good friend, right? Yes? Want me to go through that again? <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Anyway... <laughs> Now let's examine, I'm, I'm okay with it because I don't want to go through it again either. So number two, choosing good friends. Proverbs 13, 20 says this, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And I'm looking at uh, parents of teenagers and you're going, I've been trying to tell them this forever, right? right? If you walk with wise people, you'll be wise. If you walk with idiots, whatever. Okay. It's going to happen that you will suffer harm. It's a truth inside of God's word. 
Just a few minutes ago, we talked about binding ourselves to truth and kindness for friendship's sake. But we should also understand Paul's words about being unequally yoked. How many of you know this passage? You've heard it. You've probably heard it at too many weddings, which shouldn't be the case. But anyway, 2 Corinthians chapter 6.14 says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? You see, this actually has to do with, um, with morality, not marriage. <laughs> so, it's, of course, you shouldn't be unequally yoked any other way. But uh, Proverbs 22, 24, and 25 says something similar as well. Do not associate with a man given to anger, or go with a hot-tempered man, or you will learn his way and find a snare for yourself. You're unequally yoked. And all of a sudden, who's driving? Not you. Right? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Kind of get an amen. amen. Bad company corrupts good morals. And some of you are going, I just like them. I'm going to hang out with them. <laughs> Knock it off, right? Like, be careful about these things. What we're looking for in a friend is one who is wise, one who is temperate, one who is righteous in the correct sense, right? Uh, and one, ultimately for us as Christians, one who is submitted to King Jesus. Uh, the, co- the consequence of refusing this, though, <laughs> I think is very clear. Um, if we don't heed these admonitions, it's a corruption of sorts. We'll be pulled in all the wrong di- direction under the unequal weight of an ill-fitting yoke, right? We're, we're, we're tied to something we shouldn't be tied to. We're going to be given to anger when maybe we aren't that person to begin with. Or we're given to a hot temper, and those can be different. Um, Given to self rather than to God. This is what happens over time. And so um, it it won't happen day one, but if you're not careful, it will lead you in all the wrong directions. This is one of the harder aspects, though, of, of friendship. All too often, we take whatever comes along. How many of you would say you wish you had better or more friends in your life? Better or more friends in your life? Guess what? The quality is the more important of those. More doesn't matter. Quality is what matters, right? You got one friend, Jerry? What the heck am I? Anyway, okay, moving on. So anyway, so we're moving on from Jerry. He can repent for that later. I mean, I love him. But I'm out, so it's all good. I guess I got to move back and be his neighbor again in order for that to work. So, but the, yes, do it. I've just, I've been weighed and measured and found wanting. So that's just all there is to it. You're not my neighbor, get out. So, so what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to, um, we're supposed to not just fall for whatever comes along. We're supposed to look for quality. Um, I know what you're thinking in this though, and that is, Nathan, didn't you just say that uh, God gave us our neighbors to befriend? Yes, he does. And yes, I did say that. There's no contradiction though in what I'm saying. In the case of our neighbor, we, we have an opportunity to be sanctified. But we're not, we're not told that that's the only way we make friendships. There are other ways uh, that friends come along. We can make those friends. And the choice of a good friend is obviously clear in scripture, so we need to do that. Um, last piece to choosing a good friend, Proverbs 23, verse 6 through 8. Do not eat the bread of a selfish man or desire his delicacies, for as he thinks within himself, so he is. He says to you, eat and drink, but his heart is not with you. 
you will vomit up the morsel you have eaten and waste your compliments. Hmm. What does that mean? Well, choosing people who are for uh, you and not for themselves is actually the key in all relationships. Uh, in relationships, there are givers and there are takers, and at times, we've been each. Can I get an amen? We've been givers. We've been takers. Uh, sometimes it's out of necessity. There are times we need. There are sometimes we need to take. Sometimes we need to give. Um, that is not inherently wrong in and of itself, uh, it, uh, or it's not the full problem. The problem occurs when someone is just using us, when they're never a giver and only a taker in life. Uh, when someone is selfish, that's what we're talking about in this uh, unique Proverbs, Proverbs 23. Um, we have to look for friends who are others-focused, who are going to care for us in uh, our life. Uh, in this instruction, <laughs> there's something that I've said a lot lately, and I want to make sure you know that I'm not contradicting myself. Um, you cannot remove negative people from your life. Did you know that? You cannot remove negative people from your life. Uh, so stop trying at first. This is really absurd. All your, all your uh, social media posts about how removing negative people will make you happier or whatever. What, it, what happens, what, what it will make you is the exact same person you are today 20 years from now. You will learn nothing. You will grow in nothing. You will not sharpen your skills. You will not grow in patience. You will be the same childish person that you exhibit, the traits that you exhibit now, 20 years from now. Nobody needs that or wants that, least of which is you, right? So you can't remove negative people from your life, but you can decide how they apply to your life, okay? This is the difference. You don't have to be their friend, but you have to be on mission to them, right? They must be the objects of mercy. And I am telling you, removing negative people from your life is not making them an object of mercy. You have labeled them an object of disdain and you've cast them out. Labeled them with the scarlet letter of annoying and now they're gone from your life. This is not a Christ-like attitude. People have to be loved even though they're hard to handle. Here's what I want you to say to me. Nathan, we love you. Say it. Even though you're hard to handle. <laughs> I, I didn't need that, okay? I don't, I don't need this negativity in my life. <laughs> so I'm working from home on. Anyway, <laughs> you guys are amazing. So... What is our command as Christians? Love God and love people. Love God and love people. Love God and love our neighbor. Our neighbor is a friend. Our neighbor, our friend, if loved rightly, becomes a brother. It becomes a brother who is born for adversity. We're able to fight battles in life if we'll do it together. So let's go ahead and try to gain as many friends, as many neighbors, as many brothers, sisters in life as possible. There's a big battle going on, and we can't do this stuff alone, right? We need more of each other. Okay, I'm not going to get to what friends look like in action, uh, and it's too important for me to skim over it. So points three next week are what friendships look like in action, and then last uh, but not least, the, um, the, the problems or the, the things that can destroy friendships. Um, if we can get friendship right, here's how I'll close it. If we can get friendship right as Christians, 
if we can model it well for the world around us, um, if we can have a yoke of gentleness, of faithfulness, of compassion, if we can understand Galatians chapter 6 in its right, 6, 1 through 3 in its right way, and that is that we correct a brother or sister in gentleness and care, if we can get all these things right, church, um, the same principle that applies uh, that the kindness of God leads to repentance will affect the world in, um, in its relationship with the church, okay? Uh, let me explain this convoluted mess I've got myself into. What, what, what I'm getting at is this, that if God's kindness is what leads us to repentance, and it does, our kindness will provide a safe place to land for friends, and that will be attractive to the world, okay? That will be attractive to the world. Uh, you hear me talk about this all the time. I believe that a Christian's position, a Christian's way, is a life of repentance, I believe that we will repent every day of our lives until Jesus returns. Uh, sometimes of the things we know we've done wrong, sometimes of things we don't know we've done wrong, most times of things everybody else around us know we've done wrong and we can't see it. But the truth is, we will walk in a life of repentance. We will, we will constantly be looking more and more like Jesus if we're doing this right. In the church, though, people uh, in the church, people are afraid to repent. Did you know that? Did you know you're afraid to repent a lot? <laughs> you don't want to go to your brother or your sister with your issues, with what's going on. Why? Because the thing that uh, does not mark the church of today is kindness that leads to repentance. It's judgment that leads to finding another church. It's a fact. It happens all the time. The reason why repentance is short on people's priority list is not because everybody's a prideful person. That might be a case. The reason why repentance is short on our list is because there's no kindness any longer. There's no compassion any longer. There's no mercy for others. In other words, we're not modeling God he says his kindness leads to repentance. So what does he offer uh, for us to participate in? Confess your sins, and I'll be faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. What does the church say? As soon as I find out the weird stuff you're into, I'm out. I can't be your friend. Are you kidding me? And all we're doing is judging one another because we sin differently. And you know this. The reason why repentance is not happening in the church is not because of pride, not large scale. It is because there is no compassion any longer. There is force. There is a crushing of people's spirits, of their hearts. There is no picture that there is a road ahead even after we make mistakes. There's plenty of road ahead if we will have compassion towards one another. And we will actually turn each other around. I'm not talking about, hey, it's okay. God doesn't care that you're a heathen. It's <laughs> not what I'm talking about. But if we will have compassion towards one another, it will change everything. The church will be willing to repent, willing to confess their sins. Because kindness is what leads to turning, not anything else. This is all what it means to be a good friend, though, <laughs> right? This is what we should all strive for. This is what a good mom and a dad look like. This is what a good brother and sister look like. This is what a good friend looks like. This is surely what a good Christian looks like.
Amen.